Welcome to this week's podcast from Bethesda Church of God in Sumter, South Carolina. We hope you enjoy this inspiring message. For more information, check out our website at BethesdaCOG.org. It is my honor to know that the heart of Bishop David Blair is to not just see a generation, but to see the church of God make an impact in the world that we operate in and to make a difference in the world that we walk in. So would you help me today, Bethesda, we are very, very honored today to have our International Youth and Discipleship Director as he comes this morning, Pastor David Blair. Amen. Would you stand? Let's look into Scripture together in 1 Samuel chapter 8. Pastor, thank you again for the opportunity, incredible opportunity to be here. I saw Dr. Ramirez a few days ago, and he said, man, I had a hooting time over there in Bethesda. I said, I can't wait. I'm going next month. I hope you left some glory there because I'm headed in there. 1 Samuel chapter 18, verses 1 through 5. And it came to pass when he had made an end of speaking unto Saul that the soul of Jonathan was knit with the soul of David. Everybody say knit. Knit with the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own what, church? Soul. And Saul took him that day and would let him go no more home to where? His father's house. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. I want to talk for just a moment this morning on the subject, a family tradition. A family tradition. Would you be so kind to stretch your hands toward me and ask the Father to anoint me to speak those things he's placed in my spirit. God, I'm so thankful for the incredible opportunity to be in your house today. Lord, these are precious people who have come and to sing songs and hymns and spiritual songs and give tithes and offerings. And God, I'm honored today just to be able to break the bread of life. And I thank you for this opportunity, but Lord, I'm nothing more than a piece of clay, a piece of dirt. I have nothing that I could share with anybody here unless you touch me and anoint me right now that I may speak forth those things that would, would pierce our hearts and not just go into our ears ears and into our head, but let it sink deep into our heart and let it be evidence in our hands. It would not just be hearers of your word, but would be doers of your word, Lord Jesus. We thank you so much, Lord, for all of your blessings. And I pray right now that you begin the process of meeting every need and every heart of every life. In the name of Jesus, right now we pray. And everybody said, turn to your neighbor and say, are you in the family? And you might be seated. Let me say this. I don't know if your choir sings like this every Sunday, but if so, y'all are spoiled rotten. Because I'm going to tell you, y'all just blessed my socks off today. I go, I go some places, I wish they could just find one key. Man, y'all had a bunch of keys and they sounded great. Are you, don't you love and appreciate your choir and the worship ministry? And I can't believe a youth group that still knows about Lazarus. Is that not an incredible drama we saw today? Give it up for this generation. Great job, guys. Absolutely fantastic. We find a story here in 1 Samuel of two teenage boys standing in what would be the palace or White House of the day. Two young men, Jonathan and David, going through the process of what we would call blood covenant. There's several things significant about this covenant relationship. And you see, there was a process that you would go through, and way before they got to this moment, there were some things that had happened. They had sit down and talked about and discussed what this covenant 
would be like. You see, really, it's very much aligned and close to the same kind of covenant that you make in marriage. It's, it's the same uh, ceiling of a marriage covenant. You see, back in the day, there used to be this thing where you fell in love, and, and then you dated for a while, and then maybe you got engaged, and, and then you finally got married after some time. But you see, now all that's changed. You fall in love today, get married tomorrow, and divorce the next day. It's not, it's not like it used to be. We see this covenant was so significant and it was binding in blood. It was irreversible. I'll explain that to you in just a moment. But then there was a ceremony. So we pick up on the ceremony about exchanging and we'll talk about that in a second. But then they would seal it by, by going through the blood covenant. I'm going to illustrate this with a couple young men that would help me this morning. Can I get my man with the Carolina shirt on right here and maybe the guy behind him in the checkered shirt? Will y'all join me real quick up on stage? Yeah, real quick. We hadn't practiced this. They don't know what they're doing. Give them a nice hand because they're scared silly. I came to church. Was going to be on the front row. How you doing? What's your name? Okay. Hey, what's your name? Thank you guys for having me this morning. You see, these two young men represent the two young men who were standing in the palace of the day. Now, they represent two different kinds of walks of life. First of all, you see, Jonathan, he was the king's son. Jonathan was that boy that was born with a silver spoon in his mouth. He had never wanted for anything. He was spoiled rotten. Does it sound familiar? <laughs> he thinks so. You see, every new game that came out, every new toy, every new four-wheeler, every, well, he just had to say it, and it was his because his father was the king. So it's kind of unique that he's standing there in the palace where his dad is the king. But this other young man represents a whole different walk of life, and I actually relate to that. You see, this was Jesse's son. His name was David. David came from the farm. Matter of fact, we know that on the farm, he was the, the one who came kept the sheep. He was the shepherd boy. Matter of fact, the Bible tells us that he was the number eight son of Jesse. So how could Jesse's son, this peasant boy, find himself standing in the White House of the day, going through this covenant relationship? And here's how that thing worked. Does anybody, I flew so I didn't bring a knife. Any rednecks got a sharp knife here or a knife in the house? Do y'all have a knife? Do y'all have a knife? No knife? We don't have one in here. Y'all have done a good job. Oh, you do? Oh, oh, there's one. Oh, I thought I'd have one in South Carolina. Man, I got knives coming out everywhere now. Woo. Hey, you're good, Pastor. You're all right. What they would do is to seal this covenant, they would take each one of them's arm. I, I promise I'm not going to cut you. I promise. I've done this three or four times. They would take their arm and they would make an incision until it started to bleed. They would do that in both of their arms and they would put them together much like slider, like that. And then it would take either some, some uh, leather or some type of, uh, wasn't duct tape, but they would take some type of uh, item and put them there and up for up to an hour, they would leave them like this. This explains why this covenant was irreversible. Because what they were trying to do is get the blood that was being shed out of the arm to be absorbed into the womb of the other and vice versa. So literally they were exchanging particles of blood or DNA. So once you went through this process, you could never decide one day, I no longer want to be your brother. Because you could not go in and extract the particles out of the bloodstream of the other. This was sealed in blood 
and it meant we are brothers for life. Does that make sense? You see, I really don't understand how this could happen. I don't understand how that a, a, a farm boy, a peasant boy, could wind up in the palace getting into a blood relationship with the king's son. But there's also a story in the Bible of a man named Jesus who was God's son, who came and bled and died that you and I, who we could not earn our way to the cross, he shed his blood and he went to Calvary, gave his life that we might be adopted into the king's family, that now we can call ourselves Christian or of the household of God Almighty. And we're not just living for this life, but he's preparing a place for us. Why? Because we're going to have a big family reunion before too long. And it's because of the blood of Jesus that we have our sins that are forgiven and our bodies are healed. It's the blood that causes us to be in the family. Amen. Give these guys a nice hand. I can't get this thing closed. Oh, I got it. Will you take it back to him? Get, they did a great job, guys. So it's a covenant relationship. Now, we find here three things that were shared in the covenant relationship. First of all, there was a sharing of possessions. Everybody say possessions. You see that when you went into covenant relationship, you said to that person, everything that's yours it becomes mine. Everything mine becomes yours. And so we find here that Jonathan is taking off his robe and he's placing it around David. Now think about that for a second. His robe is not an ordinary robe. His robe has been handcrafted for the king's son. It is made of the finest silks and wools of the day, and he's placing that around David. And you guys got to think for a minute. David must have thought to himself, wow. I didn't know they made clothes like this. You see, all David's ever had are hand-me-downs. Kids this day and time don't know what that is. I was raised with that. When my cousin Ward, who was older than me, when he wore something out, his mother, my aunt, gave it to my mother, and I wore it. Mom would patch it back up, and that's what I wore. It was hand-me-downs. So he had seven older brothers, so that's all he's ever known is used clothes. It's amazing how this generation has changed. Sometime back, my son came home, and he had a pair of jeans that had a hole in them. He said, Dad, check these jeans out. Isn't this cool? I said, no, son. They got a hole in them of all things. He said, oh, no, no, no. I paid more to get them that way. I said, take them back to the store. Get you some brand new ones. I'll rip them for nothing, okay? It's amazing. But he, all he ever knew was hand-me-downs, and he puts this robe around him. And David started to think, man, I'm, this thing, it doesn't feel like my robe. It doesn't smell like my robe. This one actually smells good. And you know how it is when you get a piece of new clothing. You know, it just makes you feel good all under, you know? And so David's standing there thinking, man, I, I didn't deserve this. And, and now this is symbolic that, that I've got a robe and that I'm part of the family. But David had to give up his robe, which was totally different. His robe was a shepherd's robe. His robe was possibly torn and tattered from briars and going to get the sheep and he'd been standing out in the sun and probably he was full of sweat and so his robe didn't smell good, it didn't look good and it was torn. And David's probably thinking, man, this really doesn't make sense to me. But he has to place it around Jonathan symbolizing that everything in their possessions were exchanged. 
You see, the same happened with you and I. When Jesus made a decision to come to earth, and he made a decision to walk up Calvary's hill, then he exchanged what our life would be for a brand new life. And it says in Scripture that he has clothed us in his righteousness. That regardless of what we've done in the past, regardless of what we've been through, he says it doesn't matter. He says you will now walk in my righteousness. That he's put a robe on our back. He's put a ring on our hand and said you are now a part of the king's family. I don't know about you church today, but I'm so thankful Jesus came and gave his life for me and he put a robe of righteousness and covered up my sins and my shame and my degradations and I had to give to him my old robe. That old robe of, of, of raggedness and, and debauchery. He put my robe on him and he carried my sins up Calvary and he carried your sins up Calvary and he says Father, if it be your will, let it pass and he says, oh no, I'm going to take it. Why? Because he loved us so much he exchanged everything that he had and because he did that now we have a brand new future and a brand new home you see he's preparing a place for us in heaven and it says about heaven that it's so cool that they just paid the streets with purest gold they make the walls out of jasper and all the gates are made of priceless pearl you see we're going there before too long from now but he also tells us if you have any need if you have need if you just simply ask in my name believe it i'm talking to somebody right now you say i don't have it god has Ask what you need if you'll say, Lord, I forgot. I know that I'm yours. I am bought with a price. I am your son and your daughter. And claim that in the name of Jesus, God will be your source and your strength. I read this passage one day and I lived out in Arkansas. And I thought, Pastor, if I could run down Uncle Sam Walton, the guy that started Walmart and Sam's, they said he drove an old pickup truck and all the time showing up around Arkansas. If I could just find him, get five minutes a pocket knife and duct tape, my world would change. Just five minutes, you know, duct tape, five minutes. I just read where all five of his kids became billionaires. My world would certainly be different. But I thought about it for a little longer. The one that I'm in covenant relationship with named Jesus Christ, he's worth a lot more than Sam Walt will ever think about. He owns the cattle of a thousand hills and the hills that the cows walk on. And what I'm telling you, that everything and you, you have access to everything you could possibly need. He says, if you'll just simply ask in my name, believing it shall be done. How many are thankful he's exchanged this old life for a new life in heaven? If so, give him praise right now. Hallelujah. Second thing, Jonathan takes his sword, again, a sword handcrafted for the king's son, and gives it to David. David takes that sword thinking like the, like the robe, oh my goodness, look at this, how shiny, how sharp. And then on it somewhere was the insignia or of the sign of the household of Saul. You see, truth be known, that when David went back to school the next day, he didn't have to use the sword. He just simply had to pull it out and show the sword. Because at the sign of that insignia, all the power of the army of Saul was behind that insignia. When they saw that, they said, whoa, 
What happened to David? He's got a, he's got a sword of the king's household. It works the same way with Jesus. He says, listen, you don't have to fight your battles. I'll fight your battles. Greater is he that's in you and he that's in the world. He said, you'll be more than conquerors. Why? Through my spirit and my power. Sometimes we don't get it. Sometimes I know I try to figure it out, work it out. And, and then when I'm totally tired and worn out, I finally say, okay, God, I'm at the end of my rope. He said, thank you. Now I'd like to do this miracle for you. That's the power we have in the name of Jesus. We don't walk in our own power. We don't live in our own power. We don't fight in our own power. If you take the devil on one-on-one, he will whip you every time. But when you have the power of the Holy Spirit inside of you, when you're baptized in the Holy Ghost, all you have to do is show the sign. You show the authority. You say, devil, back off because greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. And I have already overcome by the name and by the blood of the Lamb. I'm talking about a relationship in the family of Jehovah God Almighty. Is anybody excited about that today? David has to give up his weapon. What's his weapon, kids? A sling. Think about that for a moment. A homemade sling up beside a handcrafted sword. You see, that's the way we can compare our strength and our ingenuity and our little frailty. And he says, hey, in your weakness... I will make you strong, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Sometimes we work so hard in the flesh to try to figure it out or work it out. And I know as a father and the fathers, you understand that you want to, I'm a fixer. If something's broke, I want to fix it. Give me some tools. Let's fix it. But everything in life you can't fix. God says, if you'll trust me, I will fix it. I'll go before you. And matter of fact, I'll do a much better job than you ever thought you could do. That's the God. Turn to your neighbor and say, God will fix it for you you. Last thing, it was a sharing of possessions, it was a sharing of power, but there was a sharing of personhood. Personhood? What do you mean? You see, there was a name change. I had you to say it in this passage I read today, that after they had gone through this ceremony, Saul would not let David go where? Home. Thank you. He wouldn't let him go back to Jesse's house. I thought, what in the world? But see, he adopted him because the royal bloodline was transferred between Jonathan, his son, into David. He was now part of the royal family. So he sent, he sent secret service with him now. So when he went places, he had protection. He had the finest schools. His whole world changed, but his name changed. It says that, that he made a room in the palace, and David actually lived and grew up in the palace. Before this day, David's name was David of the household of Jesse. But after this day, in front of all this leadership, his name became David of the household of Jesse, son of King Saul. There was a difference. You see, before I came to Jesus Christ, my name was David Carlton Blair of the household of Charles and Joanne. But when I knelt at an altar and I said, Lord, I give you my life and I give you my past and I want you to come in and, and restore and renew, then my name changed. And then I became David Carlton Blair of the household of Charles and Joanne, son of Jehovah God Almighty. Can I just tell you there's a difference? 
Being part of Charles and Joanne's household was cool, but can I tell you that being a son of Jehovah, God Almighty, gives me so much more entitlement. It means that I'm not just living in this world, but I'm going somewhere. I'm talking to somebody here this morning. The devil may have told you that you were nothing and a nobody from nowhere, but I've come by to tell you that you are somebody. You belong to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Whatever you're going through, he will be there with you. He said he would never leave you nor forsake you. Why? Because blood is thicker than water and his blood is inside of you. And if his blood is in you, you have access and the power to everything that he has. The best way I know how to explain this is my mother had those four brothers I talked about. She was the baby. She tells story that out there in Moultrie, Georgia, them old boys, oh my goodness, somebody knows where Moultrie's at. I need to see you. Wow. Colquitt County. That they would, on the farm, they would fight like cats and dogs. None of them finished high school. Mother was the only one ever finished high school. But they went to work on the farm. And she said they would fight over nothing. The smallest thing. They would just get in a brawl. And my mother fought with them too. She, hey, she was raised hard. One time she knocked one out cold with a baseball bat. Just <laughs> kidding. They put him in the wagon, was hauled him to town to the undertaker to get him buried. About halfway there, he woke up, said, I'm hungry. I told you it's in the DNA. Said, I'm hungry. He was okay. Another time, she knocked one out with a tobacco stick. Out there, wouldn't, wouldn't leave her alone. She just cold cocked him. So I, I didn't mind whooping from daddy. I did not want to whoop from my mama. She knew how to fight. You understand what I'm saying? But she says that even though on the farm they would fight, when they would go into town on Saturday morning with granddaddy to get feed and supplies, that somebody from town would pick on one of them Carlton boys. But guess what? You didn't fight just one of them. Mm -mm. Oh, no, 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 no. No, they might have fought like crazy out there at the farm, but they were just practicing for them city boys. Because when you picked on one, you had to whoop all four of them for you. Do y'all know what I'm talking about? Anybody know what I'm talking about? I think that's the way it ought to be in the church. Now hear me out. I know in South Carolina, there ain't no fighting and they ain't gripping, they ain't groaning, complaining. It's all in Tennessee. Everybody loves the chandeliers and the color of the carpets. I get that. But where I come from, sometimes that happens. We have committee meetings. We have board meetings. We have understanding meetings and all that kind of stuff. But let me tell you, when the enemy comes in to try to take one of our kids away and put them on drugs or get them into alcohol, when, when the enemy comes in, we ought to stand shoulder to shoulder and arm and say, whoa, 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 devil. Hold up now. That's my family. That when the devil comes in to try to break a family up, when the devil comes in to try to harm one of our families, that's when we say, Pastor, we got this. We got our back. Why? Because we are family. I'm talking about a family that prays together, a family that worships together, a family that gives together, a family that, that works together in the kingdom of God. Nothing like the family. Let me close. You say, how could the story of two teenage boys about 12 or 13 years old have any impact on the future? I am so glad you asked me that. If you go to 2 Samuel chapter 9, I'm not going to read it. But David is now the king. What? How can David be the king? You see, he asked, is there any in the household of Saul still alive? It's a crazy question. But let's go there. How, how could David? David is Jesse's boy. But let me just break this down for you. First of all, in 1 Samuel chapter 16, 
God sends Samuel to Jesse's house to anoint a new king. Now get this. He lines, Jesse lines up all his kingly looking boys. You gotta love this. Eliab, Abinadab, I'm right on down the line. All those that had been through the military training and they'd been through all special ops and they had come, I mean, it was the guys that just looked like a king. And so Samuel goes down through all seven and he says, uh, hmm, not there, he goes again and asks a strange question of Jesse. Jesse, is this all your boys? Now church, we got a timeout right here. If I got a shot to be king and my own daddy don't put my name in the hat, me and daddy's going to have a little chat. Can I just say that? I mean, I'm out here keeping the sheep. And when the prophet comes, daddy forget. And he's like, oh, yeah, I got one more. <laughs> really? Are you kidding me right now? So he has to send one of them kingly looking boys out there to watch the dumb sheep. And he says, David, daddy wants you at the house. Now, I don't know about where y'all come from, but now whenever that happened, because as kids, we didn't sit behind video games and play in the house. We went outside to play. And usually if we got called in the house, it was for two things. One is let's eat. That didn't take me long. And the other one is mother had discovered something that would precipitate in a whooping. Kids don't know anything about that this day and time. That's when my daddy replied to the Board of Education to the seat of my understanding. I got my mind right. It worked, I promise you. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. It's called child abuse nowadays, but it worked back in my day. So he goes to the house, and on the way, he's thinking, my goodness, I made my bed up. I put my shoes up. I was trying to think, what? He, he was in trouble. And I believe the screen door had not even shut good on the kitchen when he walked in the house. Samuel said, that's him. What? Him? He don't look like a king. He don't walk like a king. He don't smell like a king. He's not been trained like a king, but God said, I don't look at the outside. That's y'all. Now, I could go a long time right there. I don't look at the outside. That's how y'all judge them. He says, what you don't know? Y'all thought that boy was crazy. He was out there playing that harp and writing all them songs. But that was to me. He was worshiping me. You see, here's a great lesson for a generation. When you are faithful to God in the small things, when nobody is looking, God will honor you in the great things of your life. Samuel said, that's him, and he anointed him. Can you imagine what his brothers must have thought? Him? Are you kidding me? He's got on my clothes that I wore out. But secondly, how could he be king? Because he was in the bloodline. Well, how did that happen? Right here in 1 Samuel, when he exchanged, when he came and Jonathan gave the king's blood and the people knew it so he could be elected as king. Now he asked, he says, is there anybody in the house of Saul still alive? Why was this a crazy question? Because in that day and time that when a king went out of power, his entire family that were not in the immediate family were killed. You see, it was pretty cool if you were a part of the king's family, if he was in power, but when they went out of power, it was bad. And finally, I think one of the guys spoke up named Zeban. He says, well, king, there is one. But listen, king, don't go there. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking he may come back, try to take your throne. But let me just tell you, not gonna happen. 
the nurse that was taking care of this boy, he's Jonathan's boy, when she heard that Saul was dead and Jonathan was dead, she, she went to run away in the valley to protect him and she tripped and she dropped this boy. And because she dropped him, he's been crippled ever since. He's not going to cause it. King, you are 98% in the polls. Leave this alone. Now, this is amazing to me, church, that even in those days, without Facebook, Instagram, text message, satellite, all that kind of stuff, bad news still traveled faster than good news. It's said that when these men who went to get him got there, he knew they were coming for him. And the scripture, it's an incredible story, says he falls down and he begs for his life. He says, hey, please don't take my life. If you take me to the king, you guys know the law. He's going to slaughter me up there in the palace and show how great and how mighty he is and how nothing I am. But look at this. I'm living in Lodabar. I'm living in desolation and dryness. I'm living out of the garbage dump. Just let me stay where I am. Don't take me to the king. He said, we're under orders. They, they pick him up, put him in the chariot, hauling back to David. They bring him in before King David and throw him on the floor. Again, he is begging for his life. He says, come on, guys. He said, oh, king, live forever. You're a great king. You're a warring king. You're an incredible king. I am, not, I am nothing but a dead dog, he says. Please, I live in Lodabar. I live in desperation, dryness, despair, depression, and nothingness is what that translates to. He said, I'm living. I don't have a quality of life because I'm crippled. I get to the last when, this, when the dump is made. Everybody else gets the first out of the trash. I get the last. And while he was begging for his life, David told his guards, pick him up. Stand him up so I can look him eyeball to eyeball. He said, let me tell you a story, son. He said, when I was a nobody from nowhere, when my own daddy wouldn't even nominate me for this job, when I was bullied at school, when my own brothers took advantage of me, when the only job I could get was watching the sheep, your daddy, Jonathan, saw something in me. And because he saw something in me, I stood right here. You see the blood drops on the floor? That's my blood. That's your daddy's blood. We stood right here and did a blood covenant. And he says, because of that, you're not only Jonathan's son, but because when we were 12, we did that somewhere inside of you is my DNA. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. He said, you're not only Jonathan's son, you're my boy. Now, church, I don't know if y'all got that. But for him to go from low to bar and digging in the scraps to finding out that he's an heir to the king. He said, oh, no, 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 son. You got this wrong. He said, you'll not be going back to Lodabar. You're not going back to depression. You're not going back to dryness. You're not going back to desolation. Oh, no. While you were yet coming, I have made a room in the palace for you. Does that sound familiar, church? He said, I've already prepared a handicapped room for you. He said, and matter of fact, I'm going to restore to you everything that's rightfully yours according to your father, Jonathan's sake. What? I don't have any land. I don't have any possessions. Oh, yes, you do. Everything that was Jonathan's is yours, and you can't farm it. So Zeba, his family is going to farm it and bring you all the money. <laughs> Last thing he said, and every time I eat, you're going to eat. No, y'all don't understand. 
This boy's been digging out of the trash dumps. He's been having leftover sardines in the can. He's been licking out of the cups. He's been trying to just sustain and survive. Y'all ever seen what a king ate? I mean, every meal was a spread. I'm talking about roast beef and fried chicken and, and uh, sliced turkey and dressing and mashed potatoes and green beans and corn on the cob and black-eyed peas and cornbread and banana pudding. It's all on the table. I'm hungry right now just thinking about it, Pastor. Can you imagine when they pushed that boy up to that table? After he fainted, he said, pass some taters. Think I'll have me some black-eyed peas. Yeah, put a little onion in them or some ham hocks. And he ate himself so full he needed a nap. Why? Because he was in the bloodline because his father made a decision many years ago to anchor his family in somebody. He said, the anointing's on that boy's life. I don't know what you think about David, but there's something different about him. There are mothers and fathers and grandparents that have anchored your family in Christ Jesus. You don't know if it's ever gonna come back, but I've come by to tell you, they're coming home. They are welcoming back home, Pastor. You're right on it. They're coming home. They will not forsake because the Spirit of Almighty God is in them. We are faced with a generation today that's in Lodabar. And it's not just young people that are in drugs and alcohol and sexual sins. It's mamas and daddies. We're facing a generation that is depressed and despondent. The enemies tried to destroy the homes. That we have so many people living in so many kinds of Lodabar. Lodabar in our finances. Lodabar in our health. We're living beneath what God says we can do. Lodabar mentally in our mind or spiritually or emotionally. And what I've come by just to say to us today, regardless of where you are in your walk with Christ, you don't have to stay there. There is a king that is inquiring about you. His name is Jesus and he says I've already prepared a table for you in the presence of your enemy would you stand this morning I want to close somebody come and play put the last slide up if you will please a few years ago in Liberia people were dying dying by the thousands with the Ebola virus Samaritan's Purse and Franklin Graham's organization sent Doctors Without Border there to start trying to help save as many lives as possible. And they saved thousands upon thousands. But in the process of working there, one of the physicians, Dr. Kent Brantley, contracted the Ebola virus. When he realized that he had contracted, they put him on a plane and took him to Atlanta, Georgia, to Emory, to the CDC. They began administering all kinds of antibiotics, trying their best to save his life. What looked like just days away from his death, all of a sudden, he made a turn. In a matter of about two or three weeks, he walked out of that hospital completely and totally healed. And so he went home and was preparing to go back 
But he noticed on the news that several other doctors who were working with him also had the Ebola virus and they'd been taken to Houston Clinic and to LA and to New York and various places around the country. And he told his wife, he said, take me back to the hospital. She said, what baby? He says, let's go. He went to the hospital, crawled up on a gurney and he says, take my blood. He said, extract all the blood you can take out of my veins and let me live. And they said, what, what are you doing? He says, do it. They extracted the blood. He said, now divide that up and take it to every one of these patients and inject them with that blood. They said, of all people, you know how that doesn't work. You've got to be the same blood type. You've got to be the right match. He said, I don't care. Inject them with this blood. One by one across this nation, every person who got an injection started making a turn, walked out of their hospitals and lived. They put him on the news and they said, what was the secret? What was the, why did you do this? He said, oh no, 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 it wasn't no secret. He said, it's how the body's made, the way God intended the body to be made. He said, because my body had built antibodies against this virus that my blood would kill the virus and anybody else injected with it. Those people lived because they've been injected with the blood of an overcomer. Can I tell you today that we have been injected with the blood of an overcomer. His name is Jesus, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I would like for the altar team to come because I feel so strong right now that God is about to do something significant. Hear me today, I'm done, but we're gonna pray, but here's what I'm gonna ask you. I don't care if you're in Lodabar and your finances, if you're in Lodabar on the job and you think you're gonna lose it, God's got another one. I don't care if it's in your health and the doctors have said we can't do anything else for you. I don't care what your load of are. Maybe you're just away from God. Maybe you just got hurt. Maybe somebody dropped you in the past and because you got dropped, you've never trusted anybody, especially God. I'll be honest. I was a pastor's son, but I got dropped. I got dropped by people in the church who criticized because I played sports or because my hair was a little too long. I got dropped, but I had to walk out of that load of bar experience. And I promise you this morning, regardless of what your past may have been, if you will walk out of that load of bar experience and you'll push up to the table, God has on the table everything you may need. You may need just his love and acceptance and forgiveness. It's on the table. Maybe you just need a refreshing of your spirit, man. It's on the table. Maybe you need a financial miracle. It's on the table. I'm here to tell you, not because I'm here, but because Jehovah God Almighty is here. Access is in this house. I'm going to pray as I'm praying. Just get out of your seat. Come and find one of these prayer warriors. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We hope that you were inspired to live a life of purpose for Jesus Christ. For more information, check out our website at BethesdaCOG.org. God bless.